The inauguration is this week for President-elect Joe Biden. 35,000 National Guardsmen have been hired to protect the area. Walls have been put up around the area. You see pictures of the area. It looks like a third world country. Seems like a lot of precautions are being put in place for a president that was voted by the people. Huh. Hi, you're listening to Right From Karen. My name's Karen. This podcast is about a little bit of everything. My life, my writing, book reviews, politics, and religion. Grab a cup of coffee and get comfortable. I have a lot to say about nothing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Right From Karen, the podcast version. I'm Karen, your hostess with the mostess. (laughs) I think that's going to be my new catchphrase, even though it's totally cliche and been used millions of times. Uh, That's me. No creativity whatsoever. (laughs) Um, How was your week? Good, I hope. I... We Well, first of all, we had some blizzard-like conditions yesterday when I left work. It was snowing sideways, super hard winds, super cold winds. It was one of those days where you just, you can't stand to be outside more than a few seconds because it's so miserable. Luckily, the snow did not stick around. It did stick. It did get slick. Uh, But today, the weather, the temperature got up high enough that most of it's melted away. And to me, that's the perfect snow, the kind that comes and goes within 24 hours. We get a lot of ice in my area of the country, and that is not fun. And it's super scary. You get used to driving in it, unfortunately. And it's been a number of years since we've had any kind of ice storms. I remember back in, was it 07? where we had several inches of ice and we lost electricity for 11 days. And I felt like I was living on the prairie. I was a little, little house on the prairie because <laughs> we had no electricity and we spent the entire day just surviving. That was back before I had a job. I was a stay-at-home mom. So it was rough. It was really rough. And I, and I hope and pray that we never have anything like that again. Though if we do, we're prepared. We do now, we do now have a generator. We did not have a generator at the time and generators were super hard to get at that time because everybody wanted one so we have learned our lesson and hopefully we're prepared for any future ice storms and to be quite honest we're due for one not to jinx us not to wish for one but it's been a while we're probably due for one honestly I haven't been feeling the greatest the last few weeks a lot of headaches and a lot of body aches. Like I was trying hard to come down with something and I was fighting it really hard. Now, to be fair, our weather is roller coaster weather in this part of the country. We have 60 degree weather one day, and then the next day it could be 20 degrees and snowing. So that's really rough on the sinuses, and I get a lot of sinus headaches. So, to be fair, This is the time of year for increased headaches, so I don't know if that was anything new. The body aches, however, that was something new. I'm not used to that. I'm generally a pretty healthy person. I'm very rarely sick. Uh, So the fact that I had body aches for several days was weird. I didn't really have any other symptoms. I never had a fever, never had a cough. Don't worry, I still had my sense of smell and taste. And I just felt icky. 
And there was one day I did feel a little out of breath and lifting my arms to comb my hair after I washed it was a little rough and I had to lay down for a little bit to catch my breath, but it didn't last but more than a few hours and I felt fine afterwards. So I don't know. I know what you're thinking. Did I have COVID? I don't think I did, but I definitely was not feeling well. So I don't know if I was trying to come down with a cold or what was going on, if I was just wearing, you know, wearing myself out because I had been working long hours. I don't know. All I know is I felt like crap for a few weeks, but I gripped my teeth and I got through it and I feel much better now. I have been super tired, (laughs) but uh, I have been taking iron supplements again. I've always been anemic my entire life. And that has really helped my energy level. So I think I was just low on iron. So don't worry, all of you guys out there. I don't believe I had COVID. So, you know, and if you're thinking, oh, I can't believe you went to work and you were feeling so poorly. Well, let's be honest. I mean, if we all waited to go to work when we felt 100%, no one would ever go to work. Am I right? (laughs) So I'm good. I'm back to I'm back to normal, whatever that looks like nowadays. I had kind of a weird conversation with Kevin the other night, just out of the blue. He looks at me and says, I think we need to buy some land. And I was like, what? Why? He and I understand where he's coming from. And I can't say I disagree with him. But you know, he's kind of thinking ahead. And he's thinking that if you know, shit hits the fan. We need some place to go. And I know that sounds dramatic and end of the world and apocalyptic kind of language. I don't mean to scare anyone out there. But I mean, let's be honest, it's probably a good idea to be prepared. And real estate is always a good investment. So at first, I thought he was kidding. And I was like, Yeah, let's do it. You know, we can, I don't know, build a cabin and go off grid and blah, blah, blah. But uh, he's serious. I think he's serious. And I guess we're going to start looking at land soon to possibly buy, which is kind of exciting. I have no idea what we would do with it. He kind of tossed around the idea of possibly putting like an RV on the land, which I mean, I don't, I'm not opposed to that idea, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it would be fun to put like a cabin and we can maybe you know, use it as a weekend house or something just to get away from the city. Because I think that's another reason why he's so determined or tossing the idea around of buying land is because the city that we live in has gotten super liberal and is run by a lot of liberals that, you know, clearly know what's best for us. So they continue to make decisions on our behalf, even though they're not interested in our input. Uh, And I think that's super frustrating and it seems to be getting worse, not better. So I think he's not liking where the trend is heading and I can't say I blame him. So I don't know. That's a possibility. We might be looking at some land in the very near future. Also, I think I've, well, I have added something to my goals list for this year. It's something that I've been thinking about for quite a number of years, but now I think is the the right time to really pursue it is learning how to shoot a gun. Now I know for all you anti-gun people out there, I can hear the, the collective gasps as we, as we speak, 
but I think it's smart. Um, do I like guns? Not really. I'm not a gun enthusiast. I will never be one of these people that collects guns. But I do think it's smart and proactive to learn how to shoot a gun the proper way to be a responsible gun owner. We do currently have a gun. I have never held it or shot it. But I think the time has come for me to be a responsible gun owner and learn how to shoot. And that's another reason why I think he kind of wants some land is we can go out to our land and do some practice, some target practice. So, I mean, I don't know. I hope that doesn't turn anybody off and that you stop listening because of that. But I'm just being straight up honest with you guys. I don't think that we've reached that point in our society where that's a necessity or a requirement, but it's nice to still have that option. And I would like to go ahead and take advantage of that option while I can, because you never know when that right's going to be taken away. And we do have the right to defend ourselves because we don't know what it, what the environment's going to look like six months from now. I mean, look at what happened in 2020. I think that's proof positive that, you know, expect the unexpected, I guess. So that could be something coming up very soon that I would like to share my experiences with. Uh, We'll see. We talk about it, but, you know, actually doing it is another thing because it's not really something I look forward to or want to do, but I feel like it's the responsible thing to do. Because if anything, I'm a person that likes to be prepared and I think ahead and I hope it's not getting to that point, but I fear that it might be. And speaking of all of these changes, I don't know if you've been looking at pictures or reading articles about them preparing for the inauguration. Inauguration, I can never say that word. It's so hard to say. Um, But it does. It looks like a third world preparation. And it uh, concerns me. It looks like something that, that you would do, they would do in a communist country. And uh, it's unbelievable to me that the U.S. of A. Is, has reached that point where we have to push people back, I guess. Uh, and, I, and I realize that they have to have some security, obviously. There are going to be a lot of important people in one place, and everybody knows they're going to be in that one place. So, of course, you have to have security. I'm not completely blind to that fact. Uh, So, yeah, obviously, they're going to have to have some security. And I know that they're probably, you know, ramping it up because of what happened at the Capitol last week. And uh, which was unfortunate and very unwise and very stupid on the people's part. The fringe activity that happened to make that very poor decision to try to take matters into their own hands. I don't know what they were hoping to accomplish. There was no way they could be successful. Uh, So, and thank God they weren't. But I think that that incident has put a lot of people on edge. And again, I think some of the reactions have been overblown and preparations. Well, they're definitely taking extra precautions, which to be fair, I don't know. Maybe they need to. I'm sure there's a lot of things that they don't tell us that are happening, you know, 
back behind the scenes that we don't know about and they're preparing for because you just don't know what people are capable of nowadays, especially, especially right now with everyone being so on edge and uptight and frustrated. And it's just, it's an unpredictable environment. You got everybody on edge from COVID, from being locked down for months and months. Uh, A lot of people are out of jobs. You know, they don't have a job. They're out of money. can't pay their bills. Stress is building. And then you've got this crazy election, you know, with this alleged election fraud, uh, which I don't know, is it so alleged? There are quite a few pretty damning questions that they were simply trying to ask in Congress. They had the constitutional right, by the way, to bring up those questions. Uh, and the Democrats have done it time and time again. Look it up. That's just something that everybody seems to do is ask questions about the validity of the election. And that's what Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz were trying to do. It was in their constitutional legal right to do so, even though everyone acts like they're doing something unprecedented and it's never been done before. And yes, yes, it has. The Democrats have done that time and time again for a long, long time. Look it up. So it's nothing that unusual. So the call to get them out of office and the outrage toward them and the fact that they canceled Josh Hawley's book, which ironically enough was about censorship. And then they turn around and they cancel his book deal. How ironic is that? But I understand everyone's on edge and they have to take precautions because unfortunately you have those fringe groups that take the law into their own hands and just make some really rash and stupid decisions but you cannot discount an entire party, millions and millions of people that think this way into thinking that they're all that way, because that's not true. That would be like me saying that all the Democrat Party, the entire Democrat Party, every single person who's a Democrat is a, is a BLM protester or is a BLM rioter out there, you know, burning things down and killing people and, and commandeering entire city blocks and renaming it into some kind of zone that would not be fair or right or realistic. So you cannot classify an entire group of people as radical hotheads, like the idiots that stormed the Capitol. Because that's simply not true and disingenuous. Speaking of censorship, I still cannot believe the stuff that's going on right now. I am literally speechless on what is happening with our country and censorship right now. It's amazing to me that they're that they, the left, are not even trying to hide what they're doing anymore, and we're just sitting back and allowing it to happen. I don't know what I'm more surprised at, that it's happening or people are allowing it to happen. But here we are. We are being censored. They cut Trump out of Twitter. Uh, They have 
taken and removed entire groups off of Facebook. It, it, it's unbelievable to me that this is where we are. And now, now that Trump is, and he will be in a few days, and who knows what kind of presence he will have after the election's over. And by the way, he does not plan on going to the inaugura- inauguration, uh, which I think it's pretty funny. And I don't blame him. Do you blame him? After all the stuff they put him through, would you? Now that Trump is somewhat out of the way, who are the Democrats going to pick on? Who will they who will they persecute? Well, who's left? Trump supporters. That's who's left. And some of the some of the language that's being used by some of these talking heads is just truly alarming. And for a party who says they want to bring everyone together, they're sure working overtime to making sure that we are divided. Because you cannot use that type of language. You cannot kick people off of platforms and censor them and not want to even have a conversation And then in the very same breath say, but we want to unite people. We need to heal the country. We need to bring people together. No, you don't. You have no interest in uniting America. The only interest you have is to further divide her. Because if she's divided, then you can conquer. There's an article on Fox News, which side note, I don't know if you've heard this or not. But Fox News's ratings came out and they're now third. They're behind CNN and MSNBC for the first time since 2000. That's how much, that's how far Fox News has fallen. Why? Because they've, they're, they've turned, they've turned it another, they've just done a 180. They're just like a CNN. They're, they're very biased and People have seen it, they've caught on, and they're no longer interested. So I hope you're paying attention to the numbers, Fox News, because numbers don't lie. Anyway, there's an article on Fox News. PBS lawyer suggested sending children of Trump voters to re-education camps where they watch PBS all day. A PBS attorney made disparaging remarks about supporters of President Trump and suggested violence if the president renamed remained in office, according to leaked audio recordings. An edited video released by Project Veritas on Tuesday depicts a man named Michael Beller, described by the right wing guerrilla news outlet as the principal counsel for PBS. In conversations that took place before and after the 2020 presidential election, Beller is heard talking to an undercover journalist in a restaurant-type setting about what should happen to GOP voters. What are you going to do if we don't win? The undercover journalist asked in one conversation. Go to the White House and throw Molotov cocktails, Beller responds with a grin. So that kind of language is white. We will never be united. You can't say things like that and then expect people to want to unite. (laughs) Hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Elsewhere in the video, still quoting this article, 
Beller shares his extreme views on what should be done with Trump's supporters and their children. Even if Biden wins, we go for all the Republican voters and Homeland Security will take away their children, Beller says in the video, and then we'll put them into re-education camps. He then elaborates on his proposed Enlightenment camps, insisting they are nice places with Sesame Street characters in the classrooms and they watch PBS all day. Beller further speaks about his concerns for children who have grown up knowing nothing but Trump for four years, insisting you've got to wonder what they're going to be like. Are we raising a generation of intolerant, horrible people, horrible kids? Beller wonders. In another exchange, Beller is heard calling America so effing dumb and suggesting that Washington is good to live in and a place where people are educated and stuff. Could you imagine if you lived in one of those other towns or states where everyone's just stupid? Beller asks. Wow. Just wow. And you know, I think this is a common thread with a lot of these um, elite leftists. I think they genuinely think we're a bunch of hicks out here in the Midwest with missing teeth and we're all living in trailers and we, we, you know, we live with, we live with mom, pa, and we don't have an education and we just are dumb. We're very stupid. Well, that shows you how ignorant they are because that is not true. It's not true at all, as a matter of fact. And I would dare to say that people in the Midwest are probably stronger and better people than the people on the coast not to alienate you guys that live on the coast and I'm not saying that you that my listeners the listeners that are listening right now are like that but you know we all think that people that live on the coast are elite snobbish snobbist <laughs> elite snobs elitist snobs is what I was trying to say uh, and I'm sure that's not correct I'm sure that is a uh, it's it's a common misconception, just as people on the coast think the Midwest are, Midwest Midwesterners are stupid. So, you know he he, he talks about you know what are these kids going to be like the ones that that kind of grew up with Trump. Well, I would also like to say what's what is to become of the children that missed an entire year of school that did nothing but Zoom meetings and you think that's any kind of education for those children? You don't think that's going to have a long-term repercussion? So, I mean, I call tit for tat here. I think that these kids, I think you've damaged these kids. I think that you've damaged the entire country with your political aspirations, which unfortunately paid off. I guess that was a gamble that you won, huh? Because are we better off now than we were? We're not about to be. So this whole censorship thing has just flummoxed me. I just am dumbfounded that we are where we are. This is always something that you think of from a 1984 book, you know, uh, or 1984 story where, you know, it could happen. You talk about, oh my gosh, it would be so, so terrible if it did happen. What if, but we are now living in that what if, and it, I am shocked to my core 
that we have allowed these jerks, these power hungry jerks to do this to us. I can't believe that we're allowing this to still happen. It blows my mind that we are allowing these elitist jerks, I'm trying not to curse, (laughs) from doing this to us. And I don't think it's going to get better. I think it's only going to get worse. And my, and I guess my bigger question is, where do we draw the line? When do we stand up and say enough is enough? I don't think we're there yet. I don't know that people are really truly paying attention to what is happening or that they care because it's not happening to them. So it's okay, right? As long as you're not being censored, then what difference does it make? But what happens when you are? Think about this for just a moment. Just entertain the thought. What would happen? How would you react if the censorship was happening to the Democrats and the Republicans were like, nope, we don't want to hear it. We're going to cut you off. You have no avenue with which to voice your opinion. Your opinion means nothing. And we don't care what comes out of your mouth. We're right and you're wrong. You do it our way or you don't do it at all. That's where we are. That's where we are. Parlor, as you probably already know, was, was just kicked off the platform. Amazon Web Services kicked them off with, I think, two days notice, giving them some kind of letter, in essence, blackmailing them, saying that you've got 48 hours or however long it was to change your terms of service to basically mirror what Twitter's terms of service are. Because if you do not, then we're going to kick you off the platform. Because we don't want you to have a platform where people can get together and promote hate speech, which is what the excuse was they used to kick Parler off. And it sounds like Parler is going to sue Amazon, uh, which, you know what? Good for them. And I hope they win. I hope they win big. I hope Amazon has to pay out the nose for what they did. Because you can't be in a position where you have that much power and you make those decisions on behalf of whomever for their own good and not have consequences. So I think it's time for Amazon and I hope Twitter and Facebook at some point in time that there are consequences to their arrogance. On a little bit of a brighter note, the, um, the platform Gab which is set up quite similar to, t- to Twitter, and I'm a member of, by the way, <laughs> um, they are actually back up. They were down for a little bit, and it wasn't because of any web service that took them off their platform, but because that they had they just they crashed from the sheer number of people coming to their platform to try to join, uh, which I thought was great because people are so over Twitter. They are they did something pretty clever. I thought it's on. It's an article on the TatumReport.com. It says, Breaking Gab backed up Trump's Twitter account and restored all his tweets to its service, which, <laughs> that's satisfying. It's nice to know that Trump didn't completely disappear. So, anyway, it's also nice to have some competition to Twitter because, you know, here they are like, if you don't like it, then build your own platform. Well, 
these platforms are trying and you're coming in here and you're, you know, cutting them off at the knees because how dare they compete with us? We're the almighty social media platforms. Ha ha, I dare you to try to compete with us. And if you do, I will break you. Well, that's basically what they did with Parler. Another article on Fox News that's pretty upsetting. It's titled, ABC News calls for cleansing the movement of Trump supporters following Capitol riots. An ABC News article calling for the cleansing of the movement of President Trump supporters was stealth edited after critics questioned the charged word. Even aside from impeachment and 25th Amendment talk, Trump will be an ex-president in 13 days, ABC's Rick Klein and Mary Alice Parks wrote for the note on Thursday. The fact is that getting rid of Trump is the easy part. Cleansing the movement he commands or getting rid of what he represents to so many Americans is going to be something else. It now reads, cleaning up the movement he commands or getting rid of what he represents to so many Americans is going to be something else. So they removed, they changed cleansing to cleaning up, which either or, six one way or half a dozen the other, it means basically the same thing. You're trying to get rid of anyone who, who believes differently than you. And here's the thing, people. The media is doing a very good job, by the way, of convincing people that Trump supporters are evil. They're white supremacists. They're racist. And that could be further from the truth. Trump supporters are people who would like less government involved in our lives. That that can only be a good thing. Government mucks everything up. We want more independence. We want less dependence. We want just to be left alone, quite frankly. So I don't know where this, I don't know where this narrative came from that Trump supporters are white supremacists, but you hear it everywhere and it's just blatantly false, untrue, and it's a lie. But it's a narrative, unfortunately, that's, that's producing a lot of smoke, a lot of mirrors, and it's redirecting people and misleading people. And once again, dadgummit, people are falling for it. I challenge you, my listener, to get your news from some other place, not just from one single source, but from all sources. Force yourself, challenge yourself to get your news or listen to the opposing side, per se. Like if you're a Democrat, then go to Newsmax, go to the Tatum Report, follow some of these links and read some more conservative issues or conservative articles. If you're a Republican or a conservative, not necessarily the same thing nowadays, by the way, challenge yourself to go to CNN and MSNBC Dumb and, you know, read some of their stuff. You can't fully appreciate or come to some kind of conclusion on an issue if you're not informed, if you're not well informed. And by that, I mean, you look at both sides of the issue and then you, you come to your own conclusion. You don't just regurgitate what's been told by the mainstream media. So I challenge you to do that because I feel like if more people will start doing that, I think more eyes will be open to what exactly is going on around us. And with that, let's just move on because I can feel my blood pressure rising (laughs) 
And this whole censor thing, censorship thing is just a hot button for me because I'm one of these people that I've always said from day one that I question authority. I always have questions. I always doubt what I'm being told. Prove to me what you're saying is true. I never take anyone's word for it. I don't care if it's political or personal or what. I always ask questions. I always immediately am cynical and unsure of what I'm being told. I mean, just because I'm being told does not mean it's true. And that is true. What I'm telling you doesn't necessarily mean it's true. This is my opinion. And what I'm telling you is skewed by my beliefs and my opinions. Look for yourself. Ask questions. We are at a point in our time where you can't even ask a question without being persecuted. And that is dangerous. It's so dangerous where we're heading. Anyway, I need to change topics. All right. So this week's book, I just finished it today or yesterday. No, yesterday. I finished it last night. Um, It's actually been it's actually a book that's been out for quite a few years I really had no idea (laughs) Uh, it's a classic apparently it's been around for several years and this is how out of it I am I had no idea Uh, it is called flowers for Algernon or Algernon I'm gonna say Algernon I think it's Algernon and it's by Daniel Keyes and it is a Hugo Award nominee for best novel 1967 Wow, I really am out of it. I had no idea. A Nebula Award for Best Novel, what tied in 1966, and Locus Award nominee for All-Time Best Novel in 1975. Wow, this book has been around a while. This is, I've never even heard of it, which, I mean, I don't know. Is that really surprising? I mean, it's not like I, just because I'm a, a big reader doesn't mean I know all the books that are out there. But anyway, it's called Flowers for Algernon, and it's by Daniel Keyes, and it's a really interesting story. It's it's an interesting way of putting a story together. There is just one point of view, and that's Charlie, and the whole book are progress reports that he writes, and you can, you can, by reading these progress reports, you see the progression that Charlie makes from being a mentally disabled man to a genius and then going from a genius back to mentally disabled is basically the 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 crux of this book so what happens is is charlie is he is a um, an experiment and a neurosurgeon and a psychologist team together and they do a surgery on charlie to try to make him smarter they did it on a mouse Algaron, his name, and had great success. He would, they, you know, they, they did a bunch of mazes with the mouse and the mouse was able to, you know, continuously figure it out, figure it out faster, got more complicated, figure that out. He was just a very smart mouse. So they're like, okay, you know what? This is working really well on this mouse. So let's try it on a human. And because Charlie didn't really have any family, and he didn't, he wasn't smart enough to really understand the full repercussions of what they were wanting to do. They asked Charlie's sister to give them permission to experiment on Charlie. And she said, yes. So they do an operation on Charlie and he becomes increasingly smart. 
and more aware of what's going on. And eventually he becomes even smarter than the people who did the experiment on him. And he is so smart that he can't even converse with them anymore because they're just so far out of his league that they have no idea really what he's talking about. And he becomes increasingly more and more arrogant and self-centered and selfish on the outside, but on the inside, mentally, he's still that Charlie, the mentally disabled Charlie, emotionally speaking. So he he's not really emotionally matured. And so he's at this weird place where he's super smart, but he can't handle people, basically, because he's not been taught to really handle people and the nuances of people and all that thing. And uh, he really struggles with that imbalance. So let me read you a little bit from the book. And then I have a book review on Goodreads that was really excellent that I wanted to read from you or read to you as well, really summed up the story nicely. This is from the book. Progress Report 1, March 3rd. Dr. Strauss says I should write down what I think and remember and everything that happens to me from now on. I don't know why, but he says it's important, so they will so they will see if they can use me. I hope they use me because Miss McKinnon, Miss Kennan, Kenyon says maybe they can make me smart. I want to be smart. My name is Charlie Gordon. I work in Donner's Bakery where Mr. Donner gives me $11 a week and bread or cake if I want. I am 32 years old and next month is my birthday. I told Dr. Strauss and Professor Niemer I can't write good, but he says it don't matter. He says I should write just like I talk and like I write compulsions in Miss Kennyan's class at the Beekman College Center for Retarded Adults, where I go to learn three times a week on my time off. Dr. Strauss says to write a lot everything I think and everything that happens to me, but I can't think anymore because I have nothing to write, so I will close for today. Yours truly, Charlie Gordon. Progress Report 2, March 4. I had a test today. I think I failed it, and I think maybe now they won't use me. What happened is I went to Professor Niemer's office on my lunchtime, like they said, and his secretary took me to a place that said psych department on the door with a long hall and a lot of little rooms with only a desk and chairs. And a nice man was in one of the rooms and he had some white cards with ink spilled all over them. He said, sit down, Charlie, and make yourself comfortable and relax. He had a white coat like a doctor but I don't think he was no doctor because he didn't tell me to open my mouth and say, ah, all he had was those white cards. His name is Bert. I forget his last name because I don't remember so good. I don't know what he was going to do. And I was holding on tight to the chair. Like sometimes when I go to a dentist, only Bert ain't no dentist neither, but he kept telling me to relax. And that gets me scared because it always means it's going to hurt. So Bert said, Charlie, what do you see on this card? I saw the spilled ink and I was very scared even though I got my rabbit's foot in my pocket because when I was a kid I always failed tests in school and I spilled ink too. I told Bert I saw ink spilled on a white card. Bert said yes and he smiled and that made me feel good. He kept turning the cards and I told him somebody spilled ink on all of them red and black. 
I thought that was an easy test, but when I got up to go, Bert stopped me and said, Now sit down. Charlie, we are not through yet. There's more we got to do with these cards. I didn't understand about it, but I remember Dr. Strauss said, Do anything the tester tells me, even if it don't make no sense, because that's testing. I don't remember so good what Bert said, but I remember he wanted me to say what was in the ink. I didn't see nothing in the ink, but Bert said there were pictures there. I couldn't see no pictures. I really tried to see. I hold the card up close and then far away. Then I said if I had my eyeglasses, I could probably see better. I usually only wear my eyeglasses in the movies or to watch TV. But I said maybe they will help me see the pictures in the ink. I put them on and I said, now let me see the card again. I bet I find it now. I tried hard, but I still couldn't find the pictures. I only saw the ink. I told Bert, maybe I need new eyeglasses. He wrote something down on a paper and I got scared of failing the test. So I told him it was a very nice picture of ink with pretty points all around the edges, but he shaked his head so that wasn't it neither. I asked him if other people saw things in the ink and he said yes, they imagined pictures in the ink blot. He told me the ink on the card was called ink blot. Bert is very nice and he talks slow like Miss Kinnian does in her class where I go to learn reading for slow adults. He explained to me it was a raw shook test. He said, people see things in the ink. I said, show me where. He didn't show me. He just kept saying, think, imagine there's something on the card. I told him I imagined an ink block. He shaked his head, so that wasn't right either. He said, what does it remind you of and pretend it's something? I closed my eyes for a long time to pretend. And then I said, I pretend a bottle of ink spilled all over the white card. And that's when the point on his pencil broke. And then we got up and went out. I don't think I passed the raw shock test. Third progress report. Dr. Strauss and Professor Niemer say it don't matter about the ink on the cards. I told them I didn't spill the ink on them and I couldn't see anything in the ink. They said maybe they will still use me. I told Dr. Strauss that Miss Kenyon never gave me tests like that, only writing and reading. He said Miss Kenyon told him I was her bestest student or pupil in the Beekman School for Retarded Adults, and I tried the hardest because I really wanted to learn. I wanted it more even than people who are smarter than me. Dr. Strauss asked me how come you went to the Beekman School all by yourself, Charlie. How did you find out about it? I said, I don't remember. Professor Niemer said, but why did you want to learn to read and spell in the first place? I told him because all my life I wanted to be smart and not dumb, and my mom always told me to try and learn just like Miss Kenyon tells me, but it's very hard to be smart. And even when I learn something in Miss Kenyon's class at the school, I forget a lot. Dr. Strauss wrote some things on a piece of paper and Professor Niemer talked to me very serious. He said, you know, Charlie, we are not sure how this experiment will work on people because we only tried it up to now on animals. I said, that's what Miss Kenyon told me, but I don't even care if it hurts or anything because I'm strong and I will work hard. I want to get smart if they will let me. They said they got me to get permission from my family, but my Uncle Herman, who used to take care of me, is dead, and I don't remember about my family. I don't see my mother or father or my little sister Norma for a long, long, long time. Maybe they're dead too. Dr. Strauss asked me where they used to live. I think in Brooklyn. He said they will see if maybe they can find them. I, I hope I don't have to write so much of these progress reports because it takes a long time and I get to sleep very late 
and I'm tired at work in the morning. Gimpy hollered at me because I dropped a tray full of rolls I was carrying over to the oven. They got dirty and he had to wipe them off before he put them in the in to bake. Gimpy hollers at me all the time when I do something wrong, but he really likes me because he's my friend. Boy, if I get smart, won't he be surprised? this story has been quite a challenge because the author writes like the person talks. So there's a lot of misspelled words and uh, it's just, it's a hard book to read just because you're reading basically what a child would write. And I can't imagine as a writer (laughs) putting this together and not having to just like force yourself to not pay attention to all the words that are blatantly dis, you know, uh, misspelled. Of course, now that I know the book was written way back when, probably even before spell check, it, it was probably not as bad as I think it would have been. Because I'm just thinking that if it were written in today's world, like on Word or something, and having all those red squiggly lines because of all the misspellings <laughs> would drive me mad. So it's a challenging book to read, but the the writing itself gets better uh, as Charlie gains intelligence so that you can see visually, you know, he, how he goes from being a mentally disabled man to being intelligent to going back to a mentally disabled man through the writing. So that that was um, a really clever way of kind of drawing the reader in and putting him or her in Charlie's head. Let me read this book review that was on Goodreads, which perfectly sums up this story, in my opinion. She did a great job in this review. This is from that book review on Goodreads. The symbolism of the book where he begins to see Charlie watching him from a distance is so haunting. 
Pre-operation Charlie lies in wait for his life to return to him, watching without comprehension what this familiar face stranger is doing, just as he has watched strangers his entire life. It's the most beautiful and heart-wrenching foreshadowing I have ever experienced. Pre-operation Charlie reeks of malice as he waits in the shadows, but he doesn't have the capacity. My heart broke as Algaron began harming himself. This was the mouse. And this was uh, after a while when the intelligence was sort of wearing off. Uh, I don't know if it was out of sheer frustration, but the mouse would start throwing itself against the walls of the maze um, and basically injuring himself because he was so frustrated. Uh, my heart broke as Algaron began harming himself. I knew what that meant and my heart shattered because you knew that if Algaron was going through it, then chances were Charlie was going to reach that point as well. With intelligence comes isolation and a natural understanding that the world tends to suck. And those of us with functional IQs tend to look down on the mentally impaired. But the way this book tells it, I'm not sure we are better off. Is intelligence the better life? Is living doe-eyed and unaware really the golden ticket? And it is those of us with higher cognitive function that are truly cursed? I don't know. I think the beauty of pre-operation Charlie is his complete lack of fear to hope. He hopes one day to be smart, and he is so blissfully unaware of all the impossibilities. The more we learn, the more we are caged by the fundamentals of reality. I love that sentence. I can't imagine the pain of watching yourself slip away, but I can't help but notice the parallels between Charlie's degeneration and human's natural aging process degeneration <laughs> sorry from the years or 18 uh, from the years 18 to 25 there are already things I can no longer do and though our aging is slower we are ultimately all doomed to walk the same path at some point we hit an age where we will lose more than we gain each day it isn't that everyone's worst nightmare but ultimately our only fate it draws into question the ethics of intelligence. When babies are born, we often brag of their quick grasp on fundamental things and rave over how smart they are. We generally wish for smart kids who will seek higher education and join the elite society who can rake in cash, but intelligence comes at a cost. To be the smartest one in the room is also to be standing in a room full of people and yet feel completely alone. It's no secret that with knowledge comes isolation. Any of the kids in grade school classrooms who are the first to raise their hands will tell you this. It's a lonely path. High education institutions are full of kids with SAT scores that demonstrate their ability for success, but lack the emotional awareness to find joy. As we climb higher in education, the rates of depression and anxiety skyrocket with each rung of the ladder. During the white coat ceremony welcoming in a new class of doctors, resources to prevent their suicide are handed out as it's a known risk of continuing education and impossible standards. Should we wish our kids to be smart or to just be a beautiful fool? What is the path to the most enjoyable human experience? I don't know. The more we know, the more painfully aware we are of the realities that break us down. But it is that really the fault of knowledge or the lack of education as a backbone to society. If we were all given the tools to be intelligent, would it still be as lonely? Or is your intelligence a fixed maximum based on your genetics and it's not something you can educate your way out of? 
Is it the fault of intelligence or emotional intelligence that ultimately causes despair? Do we simply need a society-wide focus on the things that are positive when we seem so inclined to focus on the negative? What is the root of despair and is it something we could solve by bolstering intelligence instead of shying away from it? I thought that was a great review on that person's uh, part. And I agree with a lot of it. I mean, it's, she's right. Is it really, are we really happier if we're smarter? Would we be happier if we were not? Would we even know what happiness is or what we are capable of if we're not smart? So I thought that was a great, a great review of the book and pretty much sums it up nicely. Um, some additional thoughts of mine I wrote down in my, in my journal. I think this story also emphasizes the importance of treating all people the same as regardless of mental or physical challenges as humans. Because that was the thing with Charlie. He just, at some point, he felt like just an experiment. He was no longer a human being, at least in the eyes of his creators, so to speak, the ones that did the surgery on him. And he just became a lab rat basically a human lab rat. And he resented that experience and uh, he didn't like it. So it was, it was a good reminder to all of us that people are people regardless of their physical appearance, their mental capacities, that kind of thing. Um, People with high IQs condescending to lesser people um, I work with some pretty smart people. I wouldn't say they're condescending or, are you know, superior, or act superior in any way. But I, I, I think that they can't help thinking that way though, just because they're smart. Does that make sense? Um, and that kind of goes back to what this commenter was saying too in her review that is being smart. Does that really make you happier? That was kind of an interesting question. Also, you can't really get away from your inner child. And that's true. No matter what you become, how smart you are, where you are in life, what you do in life, you really can't fully get away from you, your inner self, your inner child, because that child is what shaped and molded you into the person that you are today. And Charlie came from a family that, well, the mo- his mother was abusive Um, simply because she didn't understand and would not accept Charlie for who he was. She wanted him to be normal. And the more he wasn't normal, the more she lashed out and punished him. And, you know, he simply was Charlie. He couldn't be any more than that. And his mother, so, you know, he was very ostracized from his mother and that, damaged him in a lot of ways that damaged his inner child and prevented him from having a healthy relationship with a woman for a long time until he could come to terms with the fact that that was his mother's problem and not his the way she treated him Uh, it was in, in another note I put on here the importance of parents accepting less than perfect or perfection from their children um the importance of true friends and the fragility of the human spirit. He 
had a lot of friends when he was mentally challenged. He had no friends when he was super smart. And I do wonder if that is a problem for super intelligent people nowadays, if people feel intimidated to be their friend because they're so smart. And I know that in, in a lot of respects, the same thing happens with super attractive people, that people are afraid to get close to them because they're intimidated by their beauty. So is that a curse or a blessing? Is it better to float through life blissfully unaware of reality or to be aware of reality, to acknowledge human flaws and try to fix them? Would the world be better off if we could fix stupid? I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like that was ultimately a big question of the book and Charlie's story. So I gave this four stars out of five. It was a really good story. It was, there was a lot of ethic, moral questions in this story. And it was a thought provoker. It was something that made you think. And I appreciated that. So I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And uh, if you're in the mood for something a little more, a little less fluffy, (laughs) if you will. All right, I'm quickly running out of time. I can't believe it's already been close to an hour. Of course, I kind of got off on censorship for probably longer than I planned to. But when it's, it's an important subject, so... Um, let's end it on a few story ideas. I didn't really find a whole lot of unusual things this, this week. Uh, but, uh, you know, just some fun stuff I found on the Babylon Bee. (laughs) This, this site makes me laugh so much. Uh, smoke signal for rigged election seen rising from White House lawn. I thought that was hilarious. There's a picture of the White House with like smoke rings coming out of it like they're trying to send smoke signals because, you know, Trump's been censored from social media. So he doesn't really have a social media platform anymore to voice his very loud opinions, which a lot of people are glad about. (laughs) Um, So I thought that was kind of a funny little story you could write about, you know, again, just the lack of communication, like maybe something, well, just like, you know, Twitter uh, being the prominent way of communicating with each other. And then suddenly you're not allowed on this prominent platform to communicate. How would you communicate? How would you go about um, living your life, you know, among others and voicing your opinion and all that kind of thing. So kind of an interesting storyline if you wanted to take it there. Um, Ring found buried in public park 18 years after being lost. Thought that was an interesting thing. What's interesting about this story to me is not so much him finding the ring, but that he found the owner of the ring. And it simply says through an inscription on the ring. And then he calls these people up after spending, I don't know how many hours it had to have taken to try to track these people down and then to ask them all kinds of questions, personal questions to find out if they were the true owners of this ring. First of all, who does that? (laughs) I mean, who has the time and the resources to track down this ring and that's been found in the middle of this field uh, to, you know, to get to the proper owners, which kudos to whoever did that. And secondly, 
would you answer all of these personal questions as someone rang you up out of the blue and was trying to find out this information from you? Wouldn't you be thinking, what? Is this some kind of con? What are they doing? But I thought it was an interesting story idea from really either one of those perspectives. I mean, you know, that what happened to, you know, what what happened to make the ring fall off the finger? I mean, what, were they in a fight? Was it raining? Was he... You know, was the ring too big to begin with? I mean, there's all kinds of story angles that you can go on that. And, you know, who's the person that found this ring? What compelled this person to start searching for the owner of this ring? And why? Was it because just simply out of the goodness of his or her heart? Were they hoping to find someone from their past? Or trying to wrong something they did in the past it just there there could be a number of reasons why someone would feel compelled to find a complete stranger uh, even go through all that all the trouble of going through all of that there has to be something that compelled that person to make that journey I guess is my point again just another little interesting story idea And then here's one that would just, oh, make me so sick to my stomach if this actually happened. Man who forgot Bitcoin password accepts fate. This could be like a rags to riches, back to rags story. Stephen Thomas of San San Francisco says he has made peace with which forgetting his Bitcoin password with forgetting his Bitcoin password that would turn him into a multimillionaire. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You you are on the cusp of making so much money and you can't remember your password <laughs> and that prevents you from getting all of that money. Oh my gosh, that just makes me sick to my stomach. Thomas, who recently was featured in the New York Times, has about $220 or $220 million worth of Bitcoin locked away on a hard drive that will erase its data After 10 password attempts, Thomas has tried to put in the correct password eight times with no luck. The German-born programmer lost the piece of paper containing the password. You sort of question your own self-worth. What kind of person loses something this important, Thomas said during a recent interview with ABC7 News before detailing how he has come to terms with what happened. It was actually a really big milestone in my life where like I sort of realized how I was going to define my self-worth going forward. It wasn't going to be about how much money I have in my bank account, he said. Thomas said he told his story to help prevent others from forgetting their passwords. Oh my gosh. That poor man. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. That is just, that's tragic. Seriously. And he's scared to try it anymore. Because if he gets to that 10th password attempt and he fails, it's going to completely wipe out his hard drive and then he won't have it. I guess he doesn't have it either way, does he? He doesn't have it because he can't try and then he won't have it if he tries. So I thought that would be a great story idea for someone to tackle is, you know, from rags to riches, back to rags, just because something small like that prevented you from reaching your goal, achieving your dream. It's like the ultimate frustration. I can't even imagine what that poor man's going through. And that's a true story, by the way. I'll put a link in the description so you can follow it along. All right. 
that's enough chit chatting for one day. Um, thanks for sticking it out with me and listening to me rant and rave about some important issues that we're going through right now. And I think we're on the cusp of some pretty big changes. And I, I fear they will not be positive changes, but I don't want to get all dark and gloomy at the end of this podcast because, you know, I, just because I don't agree with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their upcoming administration and, sh- and all the decisions they're, they're going to make concerning this country, I, I don't want to automatically assume it's going to be bad. I still want to try to be as fair as I can possibly be. And I challenge you to do the same. And hopefully we will weather this storm and we'll stick together and start standing up for what is right and wrong. So with that, I'm going to leave you and I hope you have a great week. Stay safe, be alert, not anxious, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.